You are my strength and comfort. You are my stay. 
morning, church. It's come time for communion. Um, the time that we reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. Over the last week or so, I've been um, reflecting a lot of things um, back on when I was growing up in the Church of Christ. Um, my family is mostly Church of Christ members, and um, I lived with my uncle for a while in California who was a minister. So I was very involved in the church as a teenager. And of course, once I got older and about 19 or 20, I uh, faded away from the church for a while and, and I guess you say soaked my oats. Um, then I finally got married when I was 23 and then my wife and I, we decided that we we're going to worship Jesus and go to church on a regular basis and hopefully someday we blessed with children and raised them up in the church and give them the experience that uh, they need to to know God and Jesus. One of the old hymns that I'm really fond of growing up, I want to read this, the second verse to you, and some of y'all might know what this verse goes to, and I'll tell you when I'm done here what it is. And the second verse goes, And when I think of God, his son not sparing, send him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burly gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. That is from the hymn of How Great Thou Art, um, one of my favorites. There's several favorite old ones I like, um, and it's always good to reflect on them and knowing the meanings of those back when they were written. Nowadays, you have more modern songs like we're singing today, where it's very uplifting and very heartwarming also. And our generation um, had ours, and now the new generation is going to have their songs. And hopefully they'll reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus did for us. John 3.16, it tells us how God sacrificed his begotten son for our sins. That's why we're here at this moment. As we take communion, we're going to reflect on that moment and the promise that Jesus did for us as he said he's going to come back and have another Lord's Supper with us and at the end here at Real Life all we ask is that you be believers in Christ to take communion you don't have to be members of the Real Life partnership or um, be baptized as long as you believe in Jesus Christ we have open communion that way here we have communion set up in the back and the side and as the music plays we ask you to get up and share that with your family friends, or just it won't be solitude, be by yourself and pray to God. But when you pray to God, understand that the sacrifice that we're praying for, that the love and grace and mercy gives us every day, the trials and tribulations that we have all the time as humans is going to be there. But the comfort is this, Jesus. Jesus is going to be there no matter what. And I can say that from the fact. Let us pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you once again for letting us come this Sunday morning to hear your word from Corey as he touches our hearts and helps us become better Christians and better examples to others. Lord, let us always, always remember the sacrifice you made for us. At this moment, as we take the bread and the wine to represent your body and blood, let us reflect at the, how much you loved us, how much sacrifice you did for us. And I ask all these things in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
jealous for me Love's like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of his wind and mercy When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions Eclipsed by glory just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us
Ain't it awesome to, uh, to have a God that loves us like that? It's uh, amazing. In just a couple minutes, we're going to participate in a time of giving. It's an opportunity for those who are part of real life to support the mission and uh, ministry of this church. Last week, <clears throat> excuse me, last week, I uh, got to go down to Texas in the Dallas area, which is always awesome because that's where the Cowboys are from. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I was, uh, was down there for a, a church planting conference. So it's a, a conference for church planters and uh, guys who are getting ready to plant churches uh, put on by a group called Nexus. Now Nexus gives training and finances to plant churches all over the region. So uh, I met church planters from Colorado and Kansas and Texas and Louisiana and Iowa and uh, Nebraska and there were probably some others but I can't remember them. It was a, a fantastic time and, and, and really because it's a unique situation planting a church like we did here in El Dorado almost 13 years ago. It's a different kind of animal than just coming into a church that's been around for a hundred years or something. And so it was really awesome to be around uh, a group of 35 or 40 guys who were all kind of in the same boat. We've all planted churches. We're getting ready to plant churches. And uh, it, it was really neat to, to be around them. I, they knew the struggle and the joys and how exciting it could be and, and how uh, depressing it can sometimes be. But there's people all over just like us, who are doing their best to help people meet Jesus and see their lives transformed. You want to know what the best way to reach people who aren't already believers is? Number one best way by far, plant a church. Been proven over and over and over again. More people come to Christ in new church plants uh, than in existing churches. And, and typically, when a new church plants in a town, even the churches around it grow a little bit. Because you give, we've been instrumental in planting a church in Koper, Slovenia. You know Lee and Tina uh, were here not very long ago, and they're going to be back again later this summer to share with us about their work. And it's been exciting. In fact, I think uh, at the beginning of the year, I shared with you that we were just a few thousand dollars from giving $100,000 to that church plant over the last 10 years. That's pretty amazing for a church this size, but yeah, you can clap for that. That's okay. <laughs> but I want to tell you what, I'm excited that we were able to do that, and we've been partners with Lee and Tina, and they're going to move to a new situation, oversee a whole bunch of church plants over in that part of the world. But I dream of a day when we can not only support church plants in other parts of the world, but when we can plant churches here in our own area. When you give, you have an impact far beyond the walls of this church. Not just in other parts of the country, not just in other parts of the world, but because you give, tens, maybe hundreds, and maybe even thousands of people are going to find real life in Jesus. And I'm excited that we're going to continue to help plant churches in Europe, and hopefully one day... We're going to plant those churches right here in Kansas. But that only happens when you give. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to do that today. To give, to see more and more people find hope and help in real life through a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray and then the guys are going to come forward. God, thank you for all that you do, all that you have given to us. But God, most especially thank you for how you love us. 
this love that is overwhelming, that, that floods us at, at times and we can't hardly contain it, a, a love that sees past our mistakes and our failures and, and even our outright and blatant sin, a love really that consumes us. God, right now, we want to continue to love you as we've been here and worshiped and sang together and lifted up the name of your son. Would we continue to do that, God, so that many, many more people here in other parts of the world and, and then in, in Kansas and other states around would, would have the opportunity to hear about your son Jesus and how he changes lives. Would you help us do that as we give? In Jesus' name. You can put your offering in the buckets as they come by, cash or check in there, or you can click on the little yellow icon at reallifecc.us. However you give, thank you for doing that. So finish this statement, when the going gets tough, the tough get right. And have you ever thought about what happens after that? Like if you're not tough, when the tough things happen? I think it might read like this, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and the weak give up. Almost every irreconcilable difference, I think, could be reconciled if we stopped focusing on our differences. Last week, Bill and Melody shared their story of reconciliation and, and continuing reconciliation, and it was so good. I, I was going to preach last Sunday on how to have an affair, and Bill and Melody um, perfectly outlined that message. Now, thankfully, you stuck around or you listened um, online last week to the very end of that and, and heard how God had brought them together and redeemed their relationship. But um, I was thinking about what they had to share last week, and, and I thought, man, that really is great. I could break down what they shared on how to have an affair in three steps. And I think we, we saw this progression um, in their lives. And, and so um, from last week, if you are looking to have an affair, here's how you do it. Number one, you put yourself first. We talked in week one how sin always elevates self over spouse and, and really everybody else. And so if you want to have an affair, you got to think about your needs, your wants, your desires. It's got to be about me, right? When we put ourselves first, that really is the first step in getting away or walking away from our marriage. I think the second step in that process um, from last week, we could see that in what they shared. You put your, sp put your spouse in their place. So you put yourself first and you put your, your spouse in their place. Their, their needs don't matter. Their wants are just crazy and we focus on ourselves and, and, and we saw that in what was going on. I want what I want. I want when I want it. I want it how I want it. And you need to just do what I think you should. I think the third step, if you want to have an affair, is to put God last. 
There's a really important reason for that. And, and, and maybe there's a whole bunch of things that happen between one and, and three, between putting yourself first and putting God last. Maybe there's a lot of things that happen in between there. But, but really, here's what it comes down to. If we don't put God last, when we're on that path, he's going to get in the way, right? Like, he doesn't want us to do that, to step out on our marriage. And so he's going to be there going, look, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. And so we got to put God last. we got to fill our lives with a whole bunch of other things so we're not listening to him so that he's not getting in the way. Bill and Melody's marriage is an example of what can happen when you focus on reconciling and not on your differences. And, and so let me just say thank you to you two for last week. Um, Saturday, I think late morning or so, uh, I got in touch with them and said, look, I'm sick. I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow. And, uh, and they just stepped in and you did a great job. Thank you very much for doing that. It was awesome. Thanks for being vulnerable, sharing that message. Uh, it was good. So I, I made a meme yesterday, and uh, if you don't know what that is, just ask somebody younger than you. Uh, but you'll see it. I made a meme yesterday, and I'm kind of excited about it because it's really my first, uh, my first one. And so we're going to put that up on the screen. But we learned in week one that marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, and he promised to never leave her. And, and so we as the church really say to Jesus, like, look, you had me at the cross. You, you had me at the promise that, that you're coming back. And, and really, we in the marriage uh, make the same commitment, right? We, we would say, just like Jesus would say, we would say, till death do us part. But what we've learned, if you've been married or thinking about marriage, you just have relationship with somebody over the long haul. Like many things in life, sticking it out is a lot easier to assert than it is to achieve. It's real easy to stand up in front of people and say, I do, I do. It's really easy to say those words. It's difficult to live that out day in and day out over the long haul. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're married, here is Paul's encouragement in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 5. So we've been in Ephesians 5 this whole series. We're going to wrap up that um, today, and we're going to start in verses 8 and 9. Paul says this uh, to those who had become believers. He said, you were once in darkness. You were once in darkness. That's like where you used to live, right? That's prior life. Uh, that's before you came to Jesus. You were once in darkness. But once you came to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you became, he says, a light in the Lord. And so Paul then says, look, this is how you used to live. This is where you used to be. You used to be in darkness. Now you're in the light. And so the expectation is that you would live as a child of light. In other words, stop living like your address is where your past is. About 15 months ago, Andrea and I moved to the west end of town. And I did not think it would take us this long. But even up until the end of last year, we would write out our new address and go, what, what, what was our address? We couldn't remember. We keep writing, 804 South Denver, 804 South Denver, and couldn't figure it out. And we were living in a new house in a new place, and it's better view, and, and we, kept, we kept thinking about where we used to live. Stop living like your address is where your past is. Look, continuing to live like you're lost 
once you've been found, is like searching for a light switch in a dark room, flicking it on, and then closing your eyes. Like, yeah, you're in the light, but, but the fundamental situation hasn't changed. You're still in the dark. You know when you're in the light and when your eyes are open in the light because Paul gives us this test. He says, look, living as children of the light is represented in all righteousness, goodness, and truth. So if you're married, if you're going to be married, if you hope to one day be married, or if you simply want healthy relationships around you, ask yourself this question. Do the relationships that I'm in bring about righteousness, goodness, and truth? If they do, I would say then you're on the right path and and you're connected with people who are going to help you find that. But if they don't, if the relationships that you're in don't bring about goodness and righteousness and truth within you, then pay attention this morning because this could change your life. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to jump down to 15 and go through 20. And so you can follow along in your Bible or on your mobile device or at my message notes. Just click on that link at reallifecc.us and all of these uh, scripture references and everything will be there on that page. Paul starts out once again, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so live as children of the light. And the example for that is that Uh, The light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then we jump down to verse 15, and he says, look, because you live as light now, because you have new life in Jesus, because your life is being transformed so that you look like Jesus, he says, be very careful about how you live. Like you were once in darkness, remember, but now you're light, and so you need to be very careful about how you live, not as unwise but is wise. Are you getting the idea that there's two ways to live? There's darkness and light. There's unwise and wise. And then he goes on to explain, verse 16. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit And then he talks about what that means to be filled with the Spirit. He says, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to spend very much time on the last two verses there. But just let me say that I don't think Paul had it in his mind that as you and I were walking down the street or meet each other at the grocery store or at the mall, that the way we would communicate is through songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Like, I don't think we're just going to walk up and start singing hallelujah, whatever, okay? There's um, people in robes with shaved heads that look like me that do that uh, in airports and stuff. That's not what I think Paul had in mind, okay? So um, don't just memorize the verse to some chorus, And then as you meet somebody from real life uh, downtown, just start singing to, I don't think that's what he meant. I think what he meant is when we're filled with the Spirit, that that life, that goodness and righteousness and truth is going to bubble up. It's going to come out. It's going to be visible in the way that we talk and the way that we act and the things that we do in our lives. Because you and I are light in the Lord, Paul says that we should be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. 
So Paul says there's two ways to live. There's two paths. There's two options. You can live as the unwise or as the wise. And then what follows in those verses is a breakdown of of some of the differences of those who live wise and those who live unwise. And so let me give you a real uh, quick, just a couple statements that will um, kind of sum this up a little bit. The unwise life, life is marked by missed opportunities, foolish decisions, and dangerous choices. Okay, the unwise life is marked by missed opportunities, foolish decisions, and dangerous choices. Now think just for a second about the people that you know, maybe family or friends or neighbors. Think about people in in your life. Somebody that you would say might be unwise in the things that they do, probably you could see this in their life. You would say that that person is unwise because they've missed opportunities, because they've made foolish decisions, or they've made dangerous choices. And, and that's visible in their lives. And so we go, maybe they need to make wiser Like We would say things like, you just need to grow up. <laughs> maybe you need to change the way you processing things or thinking things. And then he says, the other way to live is like this. The lives of those who um, hash, hashtag live wise. I'm going to start that, by the way, so you make me trend and so Jimmy Fallon talks about me next week. Hashtag live wise, okay? The lives of those who live wise are marked by exciting opportunities, deeper understanding, and spiritual growth. So people in your life, from a spiritual standpoint, you might say, look, that person is growing, they're looking like Jesus, and I'm going to follow them, I want to be like them. These are the things you're going to see. They're having exciting opportunities happen in their life. They've, they've got deeper understanding about the things that are going on around them and their spiritual growth. And, and what that means is that in their lives, you're seeing goodness and righteousness and truth. Last week we heard Bill and Melody share about how they had many fights in their relationship, both early on and they confessed um, near the end that they continue to have these fights, these disagreements. They don't always see eye to eye on everything all the time. Now they didn't mention this last week, but, but I would like to suggest that the difference for them in their marriage and their relationship, the thing that flipped the switch for their marriage, I think, was that Early on, they were fighting each other. They saw each other as the enemy to their own self-interest. When Bill didn't get what he wanted, he assumed Melody was intentionally denying him. And she believed that when he was angry with her about whatever, just angry in life, that he was intentionally being hateful or selfish. And so they fought each other over power, position, and priority within their marriage. When we come to those irreconcilable differences in marriage, often they can be traced back to, to moments where there was power, position, or priority trying to be jockeyed for within the marriage. Remember, sin will always elevate itself. So we say things like, um, you know, we argue all the time. Or we're not on the same page. Or we're not going the same direction. We, we want different things. But I want, to hear, I want you to hear this today. Fights don't destroy marriages. Satan destroys marriages. 
You can fight and, and, and bicker and you can, you can be at odds with each other and, and you can even feel like you're going different directions, but those fights and those disagreements and, and, and those struggles and those arguments, those aren't the things that destroy marriages. Satan destroys marriages. And this is a huge um, thing to understand the difference. And really it's the difference between those who, who hashtag live wise in their relationship and those who are unwise. Here's the reason. When the unwise fight, they see their spouse as the enemy. But the real enemy is Satan. He's the one who wants your marriage to crumble. He's the one who wants to destroy what God designed. Now remember um, back in the very first week, we talked about verse 31. In Ephesians 5, if you just go down to verse 31, Paul tells us that a man and a woman should become one. They should be united as a picture of love, like the love between Jesus and the church. The, the two who are separate become one, and then listen to this. You can't split one and be whole. School. Math. Actually, I had to look that up and, and, and Google it. Don't you do math, Alex? Do you math teacher? Yeah. So one is a whole number, but you can't split one and still be whole. It's not a whole number anymore. You could split two, two and two become one and one, right? Those are still whole numbers, but you can't split one. And I think that's what God was trying to say. Look, a husband leaves his wife, will be, leaves his father and mother, will be united with his wife, and the two become one, and you can't split one and still be whole. We said in the first week of the series that you don't look like Jesus when you leave. And so what do we do when we fight and argue and disagree and there's struggles within our marriage? How can we be careful how we live? How can we live wise so that we remain a light, not just in our marriages, but to those around us and, and, and especially to our children? Well, that's what we're going to talk about in the rest of our time this morning. Before we jump into that, let's just pray really quickly, okay? God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the example of marriage that we have in the relationship between Jesus and the church. This understanding that we get when we read the end of Ephesians chapter 5, that, that Jesus did everything. There's, like no, there's nothing else for us to do. You did everything. You reached down and you reached out. And you brought us to you. And, and you didn't just say, till death do us part. You said forever. If you come and you're one with me, we'll never be torn apart. So God, I just, I just pray that, that your spirit would be speaking to us today because Chances are there's some couples here this morning or maybe one side of a couple that's struggling. And even this week there's been fights and disagreements and anger and frustration. And, and maybe someone here this morning just doesn't even know if their marriage is going to last the month or the year. God, you teach us in Jesus that you never leave. And so, Father, would you just... Would you give us strength and would you help us and 
you help us to see you and to live like you and to be light within our marriages, our homes, our neighborhoods and communities. God, would you call us to something greater? In Jesus' name. Look, so Satan is out to get us. Right? We said week one, Satan's desire is to destroy what God designed. And Paul says that the way we deal with this is that we be very careful how we live. Look, if you're going to deal with this constant pressure from Satan to destroy what God designed, you've got to be careful about how you live. And so we're going to unpack this this morning as we know what living carefully or living wise looks like. And so the very first thing Paul tells us there is that he says the days are evil. The days are evil. The word evil is translated from this word. Let me see if I get it right because I'm not a, a Greek scholar. The word is poniros. That's the word for evil. And it means that the times we live in are in active opposition to that which is good. So, so there's not just this passive like opportunity for us to sin. There is active opposition to the good in our lives. Basically, everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, everything we do, everywhere we go, Satan is actively working against us. He's working against marriage. He's working against our faith. He's working against the church of Jesus. Satan wants to destroy what God has designed in every aspect of our world. He's at work. The Bible refers to Satan as a roaring lion looking for those who he can devour. And if you know anything about uh, lions and how they work, if you've ever watched a Nat Geo show, you know one thing about lions. They pick off the easiest prey. They go for the weak. They go for the young. That's exactly what Satan does. Let me give you a few examples here. God created, right, in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. God is a God of creation, and he recreates in us. But Satan has convinced the world that we got here by accident, through evolution. So really, we're not made in God's image, but we're just animals looking to fulfill our base needs. And that's what the world would say. In contradiction to creation, the world would say, look, you're just an animal. You just evolved from something else. And so we get guys who say things like this. Well, men being married to one woman for all their lives, like that just doesn't play out in nature. Like that's just not real. I'm just an animal. I wasn't designed that way. Baloney. There are plenty of um, examples in nature where two animals of opposite genders stay together for their lives. I believe eagles, you know, our national bird, do that. God says we're created with purpose and intent. In fact, you read scripture and it says, God knitted you together in your mother's womb. Before the foundations of the world that he knew you. But abortion says that we're just a mass of tissue without feelings. Or life. God says uh, avoid debt and live free. Scripture says um, avoid debt except the ongoing debt to love one another. 
But most of us in the world today are held captive to crushing debt. It just gives us one more thing to fight about in our marriages. God says that discipline is beneficial. But Dr. Spock says we need to affirm our children and avoid punishment if we want them to grow up healthy. God says that two-gender parenting is best, but the world tells us that that doesn't matter. Same-sex parents, single parents makes no difference. Whatever it is, it's fine. God says parents are to train their children. But the world is full of parents who can't even control themselves, their addictions, or their impulses. When you fight your spouse, Satan is looking for his chance to pounce. See, I don't, think the, I don't think the problem is that we argue. We're two people. There's going to be arguments and disagreements and even fights. But the problem with those things is that when we're fighting with our spouse, Satan has an easier time getting in to convince you that you're right, that they are wrong. And what we see is God's design slowly being destroyed. Thankfully, I think Paul tells us how to handle evil days, this ongoing active opposition. He says, make the most of every opportunity. See, God is constantly providing opportunities for us to trust him and his plan for our lives. Think about this. Every person that God has ever used to accomplish something incredible faced a choice because Satan was actively working against them. We could talk about Moses or Noah or Gideon or even Mary. There's a choice that I can continue to live what I think is an easy life or I can do this thing that God had called me to. I can make the most of every opportunity to become the, God, the person that God created me to be or I can choose the easy route. Look, every opportunity you will ever have to trust God's design will come through Satan's opposition. Sometimes we think that we're doing what God wants us to, that it should be easy. Right? Like I'm coming to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm giving a little bit, maybe I'm serving. And so everything should be easy in my life. But that's not the case because Satan is in active opposition to us. And so every opportunity that we have to do something, Satan is right there opposing that. And so he's going to tell you things like, look, you don't have enough money, you don't have enough time, you don't have the resources, they don't really love you. Satan is always there working into those situations. Paul says even in difficult situations there is opportunity if you're willing to make the most of it. Next, Paul says that we should avoid making foolish decisions. Anybody ever make a foolish decision in their life? Yeah. I mean, we'd be here for um, uh, probably till uh, Wednesday or Thursday if we went around the room and just listed all of the foolish decisions that we've ever made. I mean, this is called real life because we recognize that we make some really foolish, dumb decisions. Now, I don't know about you, but the vast majority of my foolish decisions have, beca have come because I didn't understand God's will. We're talking about fighting this morning, so, so let me ask. Um, when you are angry at your spouse or maybe at your friend or relative, somebody that you're in relationship with, <clears throat> when you're angry, do you make wise decisions? 
Me neither. That's why after those moments, what do we often do? Or maybe I should say this way. After those moments, what should we do? We should probably go back and say, I'm sorry. I blew that. I I took it out of context. I went too far. It it was about this, and I made it about that. And and we got to go back and apologize. There's an old saying. Some of you will know it. Some of you won't. The saying goes like this. Cut off your nose to spite your face. (laughs) Do you remember that one? Mom used to say that. That means that you're doing something you probably shouldn't do, and you just plunge ahead even though you know that it's going to hurt you in the end. You ever feel like that in the middle of a fight? (laughs) Like, I know this is going to end poorly, but this is the hill I'm going to die on. (laughs) And we cut apart that relationship bit by bit, little by little, even though we know that it's harming us. Paul's antidote to foolishness is understanding God's will. Guess how we do that? His word. If you want a more healthy marriage, if you want to be a better parent, if you, uh, you, you want to find a godly spouse to make wise decisions, to avoid financial pitfalls or relational problems, then go to God's word. That's really the beauty of our faith, that God has spelled so much of this out for us. Look, our problems don't stem from a lack of information, but a lack of spiritual formation. Meaning we don't just take the time to seek God's direction for our lives in those areas where we struggle. We just plunge ahead. We keep doing the same things. So here's the problem we face. We have access to God's will for our lives. God's will helps us live a better, more free, more fulfilling life, but it's not always easy. And it doesn't always make sense to our world. We don't want to follow God's will or God's way because it's contrary to the will and the way of the world. It sounds good to our world, but it's not really true. Let me give you an example. There's an idea now out there that love is love. Right? Love is love. But is that really true? And I would suggest to you that it is not. The love a pedophile has for a child is not love. It's selfishness. The love a parent shows to their child by keeping them in a cage is not love. The love that a parent shows to a child when mom or dad and Five or six of their friends are passed out all over the house after a meth session. That isn't love. All love is not equal. God says that real love gives itself up for others. It doesn't demand for itself. And and that's really the example of love that we have. Love is not just some feeling. Love is not just some thing out there, this nebulous thing, and we just call it whatever we want to, and we, we just give all kinds of definitions for it. Love really is about giving up yourself for somebody else. And that's not popular in our world today. Because Satan is actively trying to destroy what God designed. Finally, Paul finishes this way. He says, don't get drunk on wine. Now, here's how I would say this. 
Don't fill yourself up with things that can't fulfill. Now, I do not believe that consuming alcohol is a sin. However, and make sure you hear this part, I do believe that getting drunk is a sin because it means that your ability to make wise decisions is impaired and the Bible tells us that we should never be in a position where our judgment is brought into question. That's called foolishness. We've already been warned to avoid it. So let's be clear. There are a lot of things that we try to find fulfillment in in our lives. We fill up on them but they never fulfill us. Let me give you a short list. Porn. It promises a lot, but it, it provides very little. And we're looking for that, whatever it is, and, and we fill up on that, but it doesn't fulfill us, and so we just find we need more and more and more and more of it. Maybe for you it's friendships. Relationships with people. Maybe you have to be liked. Maybe you have to be wanted. You have to feel like you're a part of a group, but that group is leading you away from your faith in Christ. And, and, and we fill up and fill up on those relationships and those friendships, and we go to the parties, and we hang out together, and we do all of that stuff, but it never brings fulfillment. Maybe it's a, a man or a woman in your life who isn't going to help you grow closer to God. How many people have been dragged away, really, from their faith because they were trying to fill up on a guy or a girl that could never fulfill them? Maybe it's money that you're trying to fill up on. Maybe it's hate that leads to racism. Maybe it's what we might call a good thing, a hobby. And that hobby, you're filling up on it and you're spending all your time doing that and you're avoiding your family, your spouse, your other responsibilities and you're filling up on that but it doesn't fulfill you. And still Paul tells us that if we're light, we should be filled with the Spirit. So how do we do that? Well, I think we go back to what I said before. We read our Bibles. We get into God's Word. We join a life group, a small group of people who are going through the same struggles we are. We make church a priority. I heard this last week that the national average church attendance is 1.7 times a month. That means one time this month and maybe two times next month or the month after that. That's not enough, folks. If we're going to fill up on God. Make prayer a daily, maybe even an hourly practice. Because here's the deal. You heard this growing up, maybe garbage in, garbage out, right? What you fill up with will eventually flow out. What you put in will one day come pouring out. What you consume is going to come out. So what are you filling up on? Go back to verse 9. If you're filling up on the Spirit of God, the fruit of that is going to be goodness and righteousness, and truth. So how do you fight like a champ? That's what we're talking about today. How to fight like a champ. Instead of giving in to Satan, make the most of every opportunity, even the difficult ones. Understand what the Lord's will is. That you as a spouse would compliment your spouse instead of being in competition with them. 
Be filled with the Spirit so that what comes out are things that would most likely extinguish fights instead of escalate them. And so let me just say it this way. Stop fighting with your spouse and start fighting for your spouse against the real enemy that's attacking and that's always active. It's hard, but it can be done. And it starts with what we talked about in the first week. Submit to one another. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, respect your husbands. Submit to them like the church willingly submits to Jesus. Listen, Satan is fighting to destroy your marriage. That's what he wants. He wants to take that one that we're supposed to become and he wants to split that into half and half. And you're not whole anymore. You need to fight Satan for your marriage. Maybe that means you need to open up and come clean to your spouse. Maybe you need to ask for prayer. Maybe you need to confide in a friend. Maybe you need to seek counseling. But here's the bottom line. You and your spouse are not in opposition even when you're in disagreement. Sometimes we get in those fights and we think this is the end and it's never going to get any better. We're never going to get through it. Maybe when you work together to fight the enemy instead of fighting each other. See, you two are one. You're on the same side. You're fighting on the same team against a common enemy in Satan. Satan wants your marriage to fail because your marriage is a picture of Jesus' unconditional love for his bride, the church. Learning to fight like a champ means knowing who the real enemy is so that you can both fight Satan together instead of each other apart. I said this in, in week one, you don't look like Jesus when you leave but you look exactly like Jesus when you love. We need more of that, right? Those irreconcilable differences that you've been holding on to. It's time to stop focusing on those differences and start praying and seeking reconciliation. And and I want to help you get started in that. And so... Um, Would would you all just stand up with me? We're going to pray in in just a moment. And and I'm going to ask you to do something that may seem a little bit uncomfortable. If you're struggling in your marriage, maybe there's another relationship, a family or a friend or a neighbor, co-worker that you're struggling in that relationship with. And you need Holy Spirit to help you fight like a champ, to defeat the real enemy. And I'm going to ask you while we pray in just a moment, if you would just raise your hand. Everybody else is going to have their eyes closed and, and, and probably nobody's going to be looking around. But I just want to know so I can pray for you. We're going to pray together and then I'm going to be praying for you if you raise your hand during this time. So let's just, let's just close our eyes. Let's just go to God. And, and if you're struggling while I'm praying, you just raise your hand. 
let me join you in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for calling us to something more from what we've been in. God, we want to be a light in the world. And there are those here this morning who've got their hands up, God, and I just ask that you would you would be in the middle of what they're going through right now. I don't know their story or their situation, but you do. And so, God, I ask that your spirit be present in their lives and their relationships, that they would live like light in the world. They would seek reconciliation at every point possible, and that it wouldn't dwell on their differences, but be seeking to be a godly home for the glory of son Jesus God would you help us to fight our real enemy and not each other and in our relationships whether that be marriage or or some other relationship God would you call us to to live like we believe Father would you bless these folks this morning and bless us all as we seek to live for you with you and as examples of you in our world today Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for giving us this thing called marriage, even when it's difficult. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
don't say anything about your pants this time, okay? Hey, uh, uh, we want to support marriages, and so if you came in this morning, you probably got a little uh, raffle ticket thing. And so, uh, thanks, Robbie. Yeah, hit those. So we're going to draw a name, and we're going to give somebody, maybe some couple or some friend or something, uh, a dinner at Olive Garden. Woo, Olive Garden. All you can eat, breadsticks and salad. What else do you need there? Okay, here it is. Ticket number 503. (laughs) You guys are always so funny. (laughs) 503-926-926. All right. Good job. Hey, thanks for being here. Love you. See you next Sunday for 21 days.